Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. I'm BizTimes Managing Editor Arthur Thomas, and I'm joined on this week's episode by BizTimes Editor Andrew Weiland. Andrew, how are you doing? Uh, keeping it together. You know, it's a very busy, very busy time for us. Um, a lot of things are changing in our organization. So we're plugging away. Uh, the, the train keeps running. We're putting out a new issue. We're chasing news. So it's been a busy week. Definitely. We are keeping busy and uh, change at biz times uh, seems to be a constant. And we're um, doing the best we can and producing lots of great content. We hope you enjoy it all. Speaking of enjoying our content, we want to spotlight some of our uh, stories that were available only to our BizTimes insiders. That's our insider story spotlight. Uh, BizTimes insiders have access to all of our content on our website. You'll notice some of it has um, is locked behind a paywall. Um, if you're an insider, you get access to all of it. And it's just the equivalent of $8 a month to subscribe. If you are already a subscriber, thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. It really helps make our work possible, um, allows us to do what we do. So Andrew, what was your insider spotlight story this week? So a story about a couple of trends in Kenosha that are continuing um, to such an extent that quite honestly, it's hard to keep up with them. Um, I had a report today, uh, Friday, about um, a spec industrial building that is under construction uh, near the airport in Kenosha. And it's a, it's a large building. It's a 750,000 some odd square foot building. Um, and there's been a lot of spec industrial buildings built in recent years in Kenosha County. Like, like I said, it's, it's hard to keep track of all of them. Um, this building now, which construction began, I believe last year, being built by a company out of the Kansas City area, North Point Development, one of the largest, I think, industrial real estate development firms in the nation, uh, from what I can tell. Um, and they're going to be, they're in negotiations with Uline to lease the space, and Uline will use the building for uh, distribution purposes. Of course, Uline, of course, is the Pleasant Prairie-based uh, shipping and other business supplies provider. Um, they moved their headquarters to Pleasant Prairie, built a new headquarters, there came from Illinois in 2010, and they've done nothing but grow and grow and grow and grow in the area since then. Um, they have several huge distribution centers in Pleasant Prairie and Kenosha, and now apparently they're going to have they're going to have another one. Uh, sounds going to be 120 employees will work at this facility. Uh, you know, three shifts around the clock. So. Industrial develop, industrial distribution center development in Kenosha continues and Uline continues to just grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things with this is that it's not on, um, they've got I think, basically two kind of campuses down there. Um, right. This is east of the airport on the east side of I-94. So it's um, almost as if they've kind of, maxed out on some of the space they have there and, and now are you know looking to some of those um spec industrial buildings um because like you said they keep growing and adding more buildings and more buildings um you'll see i think it's a big u-line building behind the mars cheese castle 
yeah. um, when you're driving down that way. Several over there. Mm-hmm. It's hard to miss them when you're heading, heading, you know, along 94. Um, yeah. In terms of their progress. Yeah. So definitely an interesting one to, to continue to follow um, going forward. Uh, my story, my insider spotlight story this week um, is one on some labor market data. We got, we got uh, kind of two waves of data. Um, on Thursday, we get um, we got the data for the latest state job growth and unemployment rate. Um, not a lot of job growth. We talked about the big job growth month last in February on an earlier episode. Uh, the unemployment rate did tick down uh, slightly to 2.8%. Um, so that's, you know, kind of continuation of, of trends we've been seeing, you know, um, tight labor market, uh, which... It translates to what the story was today, Friday, um, as the wage comp- part of that data comes out. And for the third straight month, um, Wisconsin's year-over-year wage growth, the average hourly wage for private sector, was up uh, more than 6%. I uh, think we're up in the 6.9% range for March. Um, so I look back in the data, back to 2007, I can't find another stretch of three straight months of six plus percent growth. Um, there's two months in 2020 that are 7% growth, but that was kind of skewed by, you know, the pandemic uh, eliminating a bunch of jobs from the labor force and we mess with the averages that way. And then 2018, the last time unemployment was this low, uh, there was kind of a nice run of four or five and a couple of 6% plus months, but three straight months. It's tied for 22nd in the country um, among our neighboring states. Only Indiana was stronger growth in that period. They're second in the country. Um, so obviously wage, you know, strong wage growth. Um, but, you know, 6% uh, we've had un- um, not unemployment, but inflation figures um, up in the six, 7% range. Um, well, eight and a half nationally. Eight, yeah. Nationally, in the last uh, um, in March. So that suggests, you know, even with those strong gains, that's not actually keeping pace with inflation. So that's right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting. I've been eager to see more wage data as inflation has occurred. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of concern about inflation and what it's doing to consumers' purchasing power. And it's good to see the wages going up, but if they're not keeping pace with inflation, that's that's a bad path. So um, good news is wages are going up. Bad news is not at the pace, at least in the national inflation pace. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a red, a red flag. I would yeah. Wave. <laughs> yeah. And these are averages. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. You know, you look uh, leisure and hospitality sector, for example, at a lower point in the wage spectrum uh, growth of 10%. Um, year over year so it's a little bit you know different there um so things to consider more details in that story uh if you are interested in checking that out as a biz times insider we'll switch gears uh to our big story of the week and that is the inauguration of milwaukee's new mayor cavalier johnson um he held that this week at the harley davidson museum uh, Andrew, what did you make of uh, what he had to say um, in his inaugural address? Well, I was curious to see 
what comments he made about, um, you know, anything business related, economic related, um, you know, and the other thing, of course, is, you know, the thinking about the many challenges that the city faces. Um, there's a lot of excitement about a new mayor. There's, you know, it's, it's noteworthy that he's the first African-American elected mayor in the city's history. So it's historic and there's excitement from at least among his supporters, there's excitement. Um, but he faces incredible challenges. So it's going to be interesting to hear what he had to say about that. You know, I, I think, you know, crime is first and foremost on a lot of people's minds. There's been a very concerning crime spike in the city. Um, he obviously discussed that. Um, you know, homicides are up. There's been a huge problem with reckless driving and motor vehicle thefts. Um, and I think he made comments alluding to addressing those things. But one thing he talked about was how important it is. Obviously, you know, there's the law enforcement side of addressing crime, but he also talked about the importance of the economy and said, if, you know, to, to improve, reduce the crime rate, the city needs to have a strong economy. So, you know, there are job opportunities for people to pursue, hopefully, as opposed to engaging in criminal activity. So, you know, he touched on some interesting things talking about um, downtown development, which he says has been great in recent years, but there hasn't been enough development in other neighborhoods of the city, um, you know, lower income neighborhoods of the city. He did mention specifically some areas. He mentioned the Century City area, which has been a huge focus of the city to try to attract jobs to the northwest side, but minimal success over there. Um, and of course, noteworthy was the fact that the Strauss Brands proposal was shot down when you had neighborhood opposition to a meat processing facility coming in there. Well, you know, that sent a very bad message into the business community. So um, it's interesting to bring up Century City, but an opportunity was lost. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he approaches things like that going forward. He mentioned other areas of town, the Havenwoods neighborhood. He mentioned the airport area. He mentioned the Menominee Valley, which has been very successful um, in attracting businesses. And maybe there are more opportunities there. Um, he also talked a lot about wages about, you know, saying that there ought to be um, employers in the city ought to be paying workers $15 an hour. Um, certainly the city doesn't set the minimum wage. So it's more of like a bully pulpit thing saying, you know, you really ought to be paying people this much, but, you know, wages are a product of the marketplace and, um, you know, the state minimum wage is still at seven and a quarter matching the federal minimum wage, but with the tight labor market we have right now, and we just were talking about wage inflation. Um, I think wages are considerably above the minimum wage in most cases. But are they at the $15 that the new mayor would like to see? I don't know, probably not to the extent that he would like to see in the city. Obviously, that's why he's bringing it up. So mm -hmm. um, interesting to kind of throw that out there. Certainly, he also mentioned that, you know, if, if you're going to, be involved in the city with TIF negotiations. I'm sure there's going to be pressure. And obviously this is done with the Milwaukee tool deal, which you mentioned. Um, there's going to be pressure put on 
businesses that are seeking assistance from the city for developments to pay the type of wages he's talking about. That's an example of when the city can actually put that kind of pressure on. If you're coming to the city seeking financial assistance, the city is going to seek that kind of community benefit in return. So mm-hmm. those were some, you know, things that stood out to me that he talked about. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those or, or, or any of your own reaction to any of those. Well, yeah, I think, like you said, it, the, the $15 an hour comments, you know, you'd probably expect um, that will figure into if you come into the city for city help, just like the resident, uh, the RPP program that, that, you know, requires city workers or city residents on construction projects and things like that. And you can probably count on, um, you know, that being part of the, the package, um, the development pushing out um, beyond downtown into neighborhoods. Um, you know, that's, I think, you know, Tom Barrett, when he was mayor, had, you know, had talked about that. Um, but I think, you know, you have someone in the office now who's, you know, pushing um, even harder on that front and, you know, um, comes from those neighborhoods. You talked about that in his. Right. Um, he's, from five, he's from 53206. Um, he talked but, about, but it's you know, his, be, boy, it's, it, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. To attract development to low income neighborhoods. And it's not like the Baird administration didn't try. True. They just didn't have a lot of success, at least relative to downtown and some other areas near downtown. And, you know, people saw that and said, well, that's great downtown, but what about these other neighborhoods? Well, the market, you know, and a lot of that's a part of the marketplace. The marketplace is simply stronger downtown. And so um, there's clearly a, you have a new mayor who's going to emphasize neighborhood development but it will be challenging yeah but i mean all you can do is keep pushing forward right Mm -hmm. you can't i mean Mm -hmm. if you don't try at all it's not going to happen uh so all you can really do is keep pushing forward to keep efforting it and try to make change uh that's one of the things that's been interesting to see about him and kind of you look at some of the language in his inaugural address just talking about kind of the collaboration and cooperation and working together element um, to solve problems and working, you know, across, um, interest groups to figure out a solution. I mean, we talked about this last week on the weekly debrief with the homelessness challenges and how getting everyone in a room, getting down to what are the issues, what are the solutions, where can the funding come from? That's how you move things forward. Um, you know, it doesn't often come by taking, you know, political shots at people, um, doesn't solve anything. Um, and he's kind of got this, yeah. uh, pragmatic streak to him of, of finding, you know, what, what will work. Um, that's interesting to see. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, I, I think the homelessness thing really is interesting how successful efforts have been in Milwaukee to address that problem, which could be a national model. And yeah, it was it was a result of collaboration from, you know, city and county and nonprofit and business um, sectors to and, and to really lean into it and, and, and really aggressively try to address it. Um, that's a model, like I said, that could be a national model for addressing the homelessness problem, but also could be a model for how to solve other problems in Milwaukee 
it's not going to be one person's brilliant ideas. It's going to have to be collaborative. It's going to have to be, yeah, you, you got to stop the, the, the petty nonsense and get people to work together um, locally, local officials, state officials, um, people of different political persuasions. You're going to need to see the private sector involved, the public sector involved, the nonprofit sector involved in a collaborative effort to address things. You know, the crime issue is probably one of the biggest, which obviously does the law enforcement component, which is very important, um, supporting the police department, but insisting the police department behave appropriately to address criminal activity. But that's only one side. You've got to be also addressing crime up front and, you know, helping people pursue healthy life choices instead of, um, you know, criminal, criminal activity and addressing that up front, especially with young people, giving them healthier opportunities and alternatives that's going to pay off down the road rather than waiting for a crime to occur and then trying to fight it, you know, that way um, it's after, it's after the fact and it's, you know, there's a deterrent effect there, but that's only part of it. You got to address it up mm-hmm. front as well. And that's, it takes the whole collaborative approach from all sides. So yeah. hopefully, and hopefully we, we see that. Yeah. Hopefully we see that. And it's, it's challenging from, you know, from our perspective, from, for those of us in the media, um, you know, we live in a very instant kind of world and we're looking for, you know, results and results yeah. yesterday um, and results don't come yesterday. You know, it takes time and, you know, and it's hard to say, well, it takes time to solve when, you know, someone's life has been upended by crime. Um, but yeah. it, it does take time. And so we have to to balance that uh, for those of us in the media of of. Uh, you know, holding officials and making sure everyone's still working and, and pushing forward, but also realizing the solutions aren't going to come with the drop of a hat. You know, the other big thing that I've talked a lot about, and this is a huge challenge that Mayor Johnson faces, is the city has a huge, and the county too, has a huge financial problem. They're, they're facing an enormous financial crunch in upcoming years. And it's difficult because there's just a limited number of ways they can address it. Um, you know, there's, there's just not, so, there's a limited number of ways they can bring in additional funding. And there are certain things, you know, if you cut costs, your, your, your biggest budget items, like the police department, no one wants to see you cut that, certainly. And things like street repairs and, and plowing the streets and things like that that have to get done, public works. Um, so, and the city just, ha- ha- local governments in Wisconsin are limited in what they're allowed to do, basically, to, to address financial problems. And by that, I'm talking about specifically, you know, like raise your sales tax, for example, or even your property tax. Um, there's caps and things like that. So, you know, the, the, and then the state funding has been reduced um, for local governments. So it's a broken model right now. And, you know, the mayor of Milwaukee talking about that, and he has made, said that he's going to be eager to go to Madison and talk to lawmakers and work on a solution. But a simple fact of the matter is the mayor of Milwaukee speaking to a legislature that's overwhelmingly Republican uh, and a mayor from a city that's a Democratic Party stronghold 
is is just not going to make much progress. They're they're not going to they're going to say, "Hey, go back home and figure out your problems." Um, we're not going to bail you out as from a state point of view. Mm-hmm. The only way he's going to get progress in changing state funding formulas and getting the state to provide more local control on things like sales tax rates and whatnot is really, I think, getting other mayors of other communities around the state to also say, this is a problem for us too. And we've heard some talk from other mayors, uh, one in particular um, that reached out to me, Steve Ponto, mayor of Brookfield, um, said he had concerns about this as well. You know, the mayor of Milwaukee alone won't convince the state legislature to do something. But if he is able to collaborate uh, with mayors from communities all around the state, communities large and small, that kind of pressure on the legislature might get some attention. If this is not just a Milwaukee problem, but it's a local government problem statewide, then you may see change occur. But the mayor of Milwaukee alone, I don't think is going to make much progress. But if he finds other others to join in the, the fight with him on this, maybe they'll get somewhere. So that's that what I would re- that's what I would recommend. I would recommend you know if you're going to address local funding challenges, get other mayors of other communities to. Uh, to get involved because Milwaukee alone probably isn't going to move the needle. Well, I think we just figured out the next uh, biz times vertical. We'll have a government strategies um, vision that we're founding next month. Um, We'll get our lobbyist registration order soon uh, (laughs) and go from there. So, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Andrew Weiland. uh, Thanks for joining me this week on the biz times MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.